All right. Then you know, put, them, put them online at the website, the podcast button at the bottom. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this service. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the praise and worship. Yes, um, thank you for just ministering to our hearts through that. And Father, we ask that you would uh, just bless your word uh, to our nourishment. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we, we need that rhema, that fresh word from you. So we're asking that you would just bring it to us today. We ask that you would give us spiritual life and that you would empower us, strengthen us, give us your understanding, your insight, your vision, your wisdom. And so we love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to be reading um, in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be going through verses 1 through 10. And so there's a punchline of a joke that goes like this, 2.30. And then, but then the joke is, what's the best time to go to the dentist? Right? You get 2.30. Okay. So it's, so it's kind of a cute joke. But it kind of messed it up that I told you the punchline at the beginning, didn't it? <laughs> so, so that's the point I'm making here with verse 1. Most translations read it like this. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he has made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. And that's like, no, that's like putting the punchline of the joke at the beginning of the joke. No, 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 you can't do that. The translation shouldn't, really shouldn't say that. He has quickened. He has made alive right at the beginning because it just messes up the punchline that's supposed to happen in about seven verses or five verses. It's going to be really awesome, but we're going to go ahead and, and uh, move on to that. So anyway, um, and, so this, and, and so basically what this is about is about the first couple verses are about before experiencing Christ, before God breaks into our world. So I'm going to call that BC, before Christ, our own days before Christ. And then after that is our AC, our after Christ, our after we encounter Christ. And so verses 1 through 2 starts out, verses 1 starts out with, and you. Would you please say that with me? And you. So in time past, before God entered the picture in your life, Paul's talking to, the, to a church that he planted, right? So these are people he knows. He's saying, look, I know you. I knew... I knew you back then. I knew you before you came to Christ. I knew that you were a mess. I knew that your life was a train wreck. You were dead in trespasses and sins, which is they're basically synonymous. You're basically false in sins. You were spiritually dead. So spiritual death is when you have no relationship with God. And so a dead person has no relationship with the physical living around here. And a spiritually dead person has no relationship with God the Father, right? And so he's talking to people who he knew. He saw they were spiritually dead, and he's... And he's saying, you who are dead in trespasses and sins. And then he goes on to explain that, expound on that condition a little bit more. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And so he's saying, you, you walked in this, you lived in this, your lifestyle was in this state of no relationship with God, and you were just you know, living to do whatever... Basically, you were led there. You were led by the course of this world. And so <clears throat> there's, this, um, there's this phenomenon called groupthink, which is basically just going with the flow. Um, so it's when people who are assembled in a group, uh, it's kind of like their minds go into, their brains go into kind of like idle mode. Have you ever been next to a, 
hybrid car when it pulls when you pull up to a stoplight and it, and and it like shuts off right there at the stoplight and then the light turns green and they put their foot on the gas and you hear the little spark ignition and and you hear the car kind of it happened to me the other day for the first time and I was like oh wow that was really weird I didn't realize it was just shut off but it was and then it turned on and had power to go so so that's kind of like what group think is it's like people's brain kind of turn off a little bit and like that hybrid car to stop like one speaker put it this way by the way this was not George Carlin but we don't, I don't know who it was <clears throat> but anyway this is what they said never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups never underestimate the power of stupid people in life. it's not that it's not that dumb people get in large groups it's that when people are in large groups uh, then then group think happens and so uh, group yeah group think that happens and so people shut off their brain and then basically what it comes down to is whoever the loudest voice is is the one who ends up being the the leader and the people follow whoever can whoever can like you know make themselves appear the most confident in their position that's the one that people follow that's basically what group think is and so when you put people in a, in a large group, then group think happens. The loudest person, the most confident person leads the way, and everybody else kind of shuts their brain off, and then they do really dumb things. So <clears throat> things that a person would never do on their own, you put them in a group, and all of a sudden they seem like a good idea. You know, like doing one of those, you know, jumps on a motorcycle over 12 cars that they wouldn't do on their own, but you get 20 or 30 people around watching, and all of a sudden this seems like a really great trick, right? So... When I was in fifth grade, uh, about fifth grade, it might have been sixth or seventh, but I think it was about fifth grade, um, I was with my two brothers, and so there were three of us plus two other friends of my older brother, so there were like five, uh, five of us, and we had our little BB guns, you know, with the little metal BBs, we'd go around and we'd shoot cans or, or bottles or, tree, you know, try to hit twigs off of a tree, those types of things. But then, as we were kind of wandering around our little town of 50 people, um, we meandered up to the country store, and we happened to notice that the door to somebody's shed was open. And so we were like, hey, I wonder what's in there. And so we went and looked at it, and you know what was in there? Glass cases, like display cases for jewelry. They were glass. Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> All of a sudden, group think happened, and we were like, you know what a really good idea right now is? We have glass cases. There were like four or five of them. And we have BB guns. And there's nobody watching us. <laughs> we were like, I've got a great idea. <laughs> now, none of us would have done that on our own, probably. I know I wouldn't have done that on my own. But you get us in a group, and what did we do? We took our baby guns, and we shot up every piece of glass that was like six inches in diameter and bigger. And we kept shooting them until they were all smaller than six inches. We shot the glass with BB guns and broke everything into place. And then we thought, now nobody's gonna catch us. We're just gonna, we're just gonna scoot. Hey, nobody, nobody had a video camera. Nobody saw us, right? So we scooted home, and we thought, okay, that was a lot of fun, right? And then the sheriff showed up <laughs> at the door. <laughs> yeah, and then each one of us were summoned. Now you notice the sheriff; he was smart. He knew group about group think. He did not summon us to his office in a group. He brought us in one by one, or it might have been, you know, me and my two brothers. I don't remember the specific, but I know it wasn't with those other two guys. But we figured, okay, we're going to stand strong. Like, we've, we've heard, seen movies and stuff where people crumble. We're all going to get the same story, and we're going to deny, deny, deny. That was our plan walking into this. Deny, de no matter what he says, nobody saw it. Deny, 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 right? And so that's what we were going to do. Then it was my turn, and so I went in. 
And he asked me the question point blank. And my mom was there. And I'll tell you, I, I cracked like an egg. <laughs> I spilled my guts all over. Yes, we did it. I was so sorry. Right? I just cracked right there. And <clears throat> because individually, my IQ like went up by 30 points because I wasn't doing group think anymore. Right? And... You know, I was I was so scared that I'd get you know kicked out and sent to juvie hall and all the <clears throat> and but it, what ended up happening? So the owner of the shed uh, was the couple Roy and I can't think of his wife's name, but they owned the Shawnee Country Store and they were in the post office right next to it. They were like you know the the pillars in in our town of fifty people, and they were just such kind people, especially Roy. And so they said, "Look, do ten hours of community service to clean up the mess, and then." Pay $20 for the damage, and we won't press any charges. We won't do anything. Wasn't that nice? That was so kind of them. <clears throat> but I got into that situation because I just went with the flow. That's always a bad idea. So Wikipedia says, Groupthink is a psychological phenomenon that occurs when a group of people um, results in an irrational or dysfunctional decision-making outcome. Group members try to minimize conflict and reach consensus decision without critical evaluations of alternate viewpoints. This is done by actively suppressing dissenting viewpoints and by isolating themselves from outside influences. Okay? And so there was a TV commercial that showed this um, maybe six months ago or something like that where um, it, it, it was really a funny one. I think it was about insurance. And so there's these, like, four college students, and they're running away, hiding. It's at night, you know, in, in the, the farm kind of area. And they're, and, and they're trying to get away from the chainsaw killer, right? And there's a car over there, a convertible that's, that can fit all of them. And, and one of them says, let's go get in the car. Let's drive away. And somebody else says, are you crazy, man? Well, let's hide among the chainsaws. <laughs> because there's this really weird area with like 30 chainsaws dangling from chains. And so they went and, as a group think, they went among the chainsaws to try to get rid of get away <laughs> to try to hide from the chainsaw killer instead of just driving away right so so that, that's a, that's a pretty funny you know example and I know it's just a TV commercial but it, but the reason why it's funny is because we've all seen stuff like that and so it's based on truth like humor is always based on truth and so there's a nugget of truth that we all know about that's in there that's what makes it funny right and so <clears throat> that's what's happening during this age. So it's like Satan empowers personalities to lead culture, right? They're the, they're the most charismatic. They're the, they're the most confident. They're the ones that are put out in front of everybody else on TV, in the spotlight, to lead culture. And the culture goes in the direction of Satan's choosing because the rest of us just go with the flow normally, right? And it's like they're energized by the spirit of this world, right? The satanic direction this world is going in. And so that's about the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, right? Because <clears throat> So in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. The direction this world was going, you used to do that. You used to do all those same things and let, be led in that direction with this group think and just go along with the flow. And you were subject, you were, you were you know, obeying the prince of the power of the air and you didn't even know it. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. I mean, have you have you noticed how acceptable, and I'm not even going to say the whole word, but how acceptable pedo stuff has become in movies? And somebody at work told me about another television show that just cropped up about that subject, and um, that that's um, 
slowly becoming, just like things in the past, that's slowly becoming introduced into, into culture, into society, to try to become the norm in culture and society. Things that were disgraceful and outrageous just a few years ago are on the big screen today, and are, they're being pushed to become acceptable and become the norm. So Jesus called the generation of his day an evil and adulterous generation. Because those actions have become the norm. Even among the religious people, who, who, who certainly knew better, but they didn't want to obey the truth. And so those actions had become the norm back then. And so if that's what he called that generation, what would he call our generation? It might start with pedo. Going with the flow is always a bad idea. So <clears throat> then we get to verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So pathos, everybody's heard of that, pathos, pathos, that's the disease condition of the soul. And the word used here for lust is the individual's active desires resulting of the disease condition of the soul. So in short, you did whatever you felt like doing or whatever you imagined to do. Whatever it was that um, you, you know, innately wanted to do, you just went and did without regard for God, without regard for others, without regard for the future. <clears throat> you entered a relationship that was sinful, and now you have shame and guilt for it. You, you, you've looked at things and done things, and they make you feel disgusting and guilty today because you were spiritually dead in sins and in faults, and you walked and lived in those things, just like the rest of the world, and your lifestyle was, in verse 3, was all about living life your way, like Frank Sinatra says. I did it my way, right? And because of that, Paul's saying you were children or children of disobedience, and because of that, you were children of wrath. So, but then Paul's also mentioning here in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Paul's saying, I'm not there with you. He's saying, it's not just you guys. It's me too. We've all, we've all been there. We've all been part of that, going with the flow, doing whatever feels right, whatever seems right. And that's our times of the past. He says it in verse 1 and in verse 3, in, in times past. Right? But you, And then... As bad, but as bad as you were in Christ, uh, before Christ, in your BC days before Christ, I was just as bad. So in my BC days, I did whatever I wanted. You know? Go ahead and just use that other mic. Okay. It's got a bad connection going on. Okay. Okay, is that better? There you go. Okay. Sorry, Randy. I'm it. There it is. Okay. <laughs> So in my BC days, I did what I wanted to do. I remember, you know, and, and I felt filthy afterwards, right? I remember um, a constant nagging feeling that God was always mad at me, that he was angry at me or was disappointed in me. Um, and, I, and I felt that way all through high school, all through college, until my senior year of college, but when God finally broke into my life. But until then, it seemed like he was always angry at me. So because when we're guilty, our conscience bears the burden of that guilt and we feel convicted by our wrongdoing, right? Even Christians can get stuck in sin, unable to break free from anger, from you know viewing addictions, from other addictions, from alcohol, whatever, right? But look, Jesus didn't die to keep us enslaved to, to sin. He died so we could be set free from sin. 
right? He who, sets, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And if we're not yet free from sin, then even as a Christian, our conscience bears the burden of that guilt, and we feel convicted of doing wrong. And, and, we'll feel, and we, we will experience, you'll feel separated from God's love on purpose. He's trying to draw us back out of that sin that's just damaging us. So at that point, we have two options, right? We can either come clean, straighten up and fly right, ask for forgiveness, or we can avoid God. So what, did, what do you think I did? I just avoided God. <laughs> I think that's what most people would, would do, right? I didn't pray. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't even have a Bible with me at college. And I just, I just pushed God out of my life, right? Hoping to end the feelings of guilt and conviction. And I did whatever I wanted to do. Right? Just like it says here, we were all, you know, we all followed the corrupted desires of the flesh and mind. Right, dead in trespasses and sins, and I felt dead on the inside and separated from God, and that He was angry with me. And if I ask for a show of hands, for those who feel that way today, some hands might go up. I'm not going to, but for if you feel dead on the inside, or if you feel separated from God, like you can't seem to connect with His love, or you feel like God's angry or disappointed with you, then some hands might go up. And that's okay. That's okay, because there's a prescription for that problem. There's a solution to that situation. So this scripture that we're reading isn't here to condemn us, but it's to give us hope. Right? Because what because we're about to break into what God into the punchline of of you know the, the point of this whole you know ten verses. We're about to break into that, which is the after Christ enters your world part. And whatever God has did for the believers at Ephesus, and for the Apostle Paul, and for me, he can also do for you. Because even though you've done things wrong, we all have, and God chooses to love you anyway. And the greater the problem, then the greater the solution has to be. And there's no greater problem on earth than to be separated from God. So the solution is no less than God himself. And so that part is, and you. So verse 2 starts out with, and you, and that's, and that's all about our situation in times past. <clears throat> but then comes part 2, the after Christ part. So this is part 2, but God. And this starts out verse 4. Would you say that with me? But God. <clears throat> but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. And so mercy, that word... Mercy sees a person in misery that their sin has created and acts to eliminate or lessen that person's misery. Mercy removes misery. That's from Strong's. So God looks at you and he sees you in that spiritual condition and he sees your misery with feeling dead on the inside and separated from him and you know feeling like he's angry all the time. He sees that. He knows that's misery. And abundant mercy wells up inside of him, and he says, I just can't stand here and do nothing. I have to act. I have to go help them. And then he takes action to go and relieve your misery because he loves you so much. So I know what you're thinking, probably, anyway, that this is counterintuitive. When you do wrong to other people in this world, when you do wrong to them, they don't love you back. They get you back, right? The first rule of politics is, do unto others and do it first, right? People don't love you back. They get you back here. But God is so filled with abundant mercy that when we do wrong to him, he loves us back. 
for the great love with he, the, which he loves us with, he takes action to come and rescue us, to rescue you out of your mess. And the following verses describe how he does that there in verse 5. So, <clears throat> verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. So that's the punchline. Even when we were dead in sins, God made us alive together with Christ. And so, even when you, and, and you, when you were dead in sins, and Paul goes on to describe what that really looks like and what that really means and dredges up the, the junk and the feelings that go along with that. And at the end of that, and you, after being dead in sins, God um, has made alive together in Christ. By grace are you saved. That's the punchline. So you see why I, why I think translators misplaced that punchline? They should have just left it where it is. The problem is Paul's sentence is like seven verses long. It's really long. So they thought, well, this is this is my view, is they probably thought, well, people are going to forget what what the what the punchline is if we don't put it up front. So they put it up front. But that's okay. So verse five is all about your new life in Christ. It's see, <clears throat> when we come to Christ, it's not that God recharges our batteries and calls it good. No, it's not that simple. He completely replaces our old life with a brand new one. It's like the new and improved 2.0 version, right? But it's like so much better than what you've had before. It's kind of like replacing your wall phone 20 years ago with an iPhone 10 or iPhone X. Which one is it? 10 or X? I don't know how to say it. But anyway, with the newest iPhone. Yeah, it can still make phone calls. Yeah, it can, it can still do all that. But it can do so much more. And so your new life, yeah, it still does the same things your old life did. You still eat. You still sleep. You still talk to people. You know, those, those functions are all the same. But there is so much more that your new life had no chance of doing. Just like your wall phone had no chance of internet connection and, you know, all, you know, all, those, all those things that an, an iPhone can do. So... <clears throat> Um, spiritual things are now exciting because you're alive spiritually, right? So you were spiritually dead. Now you're spiritually alive with this new life. You get this brand new life that empowers you. And so it's so it's neat. There's so much to this. We're going to touch on three points. It gives you power and position and purpose. And so we're going to look at power first. And so this is in verse 6. And so God made you alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's actually both parts. That's power and purpose. So for the power part, God, as, as a new creation, God's given you gifts or basically super abilities that are beyond human potential to encourage, to exhort, to bless others and love. Things that are, are, that are impossible you know, with the soulish life, with somebody who's not you know, raised, from, raised from spiritual death. A person like that has no chance of breathing life and encouragement into, into somebody else, right? Like spiritual CPR. They have no chance of doing that. But if you're spiritually alive, then you have the ability to do that. You have the ability to give people hope to live tomorrow. And that's not it, but there's other gifts that God gives, just things, you know, leadership and, and you know, teaching ability, those type of things that, that when you have a spiritual gift to do that, it, you just excel in that way above any anybody else without the spiritual gift because you're empowered by God to do it. And so you get a new life in Christ, but then he raises you up together with Christ and causes us to sit together in heavenly places. So in Mark 16, it, it talks about how Jesus, when he had finished his work on earth, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, right? 
And so this is about position. You're seated there together with him. You notice the word together, that it's in there three times? He has made us alive together with Christ and has raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, right? All of those things. So made us alive together, that's the ability to respond to spiritual stimuli. Growth or time to grow is not needed. You can respond immediately when that happens, right? And then God raised us up together with Christ. That's the power. That's the believer's spiritual resurrection with Christ. And so the same power that raised Christ from the dead is, is the same power that, that, that is in you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? That's present in you to do the works that God's put before you to do. And then God's placed us in heavenly position with Christ. Our position is that we are seated with Christ in heaven. So just like the position of a king or queen is on the throne, even if they're eating a meal or you know visiting a foreign country, their position is still on the throne. You or me, we're here in this world, yes, but our position is on the throne with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father because we're in Christ, right? Okay, so our spiritual position is that we're seated together with Christ in heaven. So we have power and we have position that goes along with this new life in Christ. And the Bible says that as, as a believer, you're no longer of this world. And so the world has its own citizens and it has its own system. The citizens are the children of disobedience and the children of wrath that we talked about, right? And the system is, is that which is controlled by Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And so the citizens do what the system dictates, and they all go with the flow. But you're out of that flow. You are no longer a citizen of the system, a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven if you belong to Jesus Christ. No longer of this world. I mean, you, you know... As as you know that you're a citizen, how do you know that, you, that you're a citizen of heaven? Because you see the problems, you see the evil, you see the greed, you see that you know the, the these things that drive the world around us, and something tells you on the inside there's got to be something better. This can't be as good as it gets. The world used to be good enough for you, but it's no longer good enough for you. You desire something better. That's how you know you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you're right, there is somewhere better, right? Heaven and the ages to come that we're going to talk about in a second are better. So you're a new creation, completely forgiven, given new life, raised from spiritual death, and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If that's you, you are a citizen of heaven. You're empowered spiritually with everything you need to live God's way. Everything you need. There's not one thing that you're lacking in order to carry out God's plan, God's will for your life, in everyday working it out kind of stuff. You're, you're spiritually empowered and able to destroy the works of darkness in your own life. And you're empowered with spiritual superpowers to do the works of God on earth, right? Things that only Jesus could do when he was on earth, you now can do. Cast out demons? Yep, you can do that. Heal the sick? Oh yeah, you can do that. Actually, Jesus commanded that we do those things. Preach the gospel? Absolutely. You can do that, and we're actually commanded to do that too. And when we do, then Christ works with us with signs following to confirm the message. That's what Mark 16 says. So you are empowered to be a change agent in the lives of those around you, to bring spiritual life and light to those who are spiritually dead and in darkness, right? None of those things are possible outside of Christ, but all of them are possible inside Christ, in Christ. 
So you're part of, <clears throat> you're not part of the old system, you're part of the new system, which is the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and you're no longer subject to the power of this world. You are so far above that because the power that motivates you, that new life in Christ, is so much higher and so much more powerful than anything that this world has, has to offer. Any temptation, any of that. So this is the kingdom of God. It's, it's where Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. It's where the weak are made strong, where the poor are made rich, where the rich and powerful no longer rule over the poor because God causes the lions to lay down with the lambs. And a little child will lead them both. Where greatness is found in serving others, not in accumulating wealth and status. And where the Lord forbids actions that could harm you and teaches you how to be someone who shows kindness and love to those around you also. Right? And where everything, <clears throat> and where God finds a way to work out everything for your good, no matter what happens in your life, he's going to make sure that that works for your good, for your benefit. And where everything done for Jesus is rewarded a hundred times as much as the effort that it took. You're part of that kingdom. And we shake. We're part of that kingdom here at Arise Church. And we shake. This is like this is like what's going on inside of me. We shake the gates of hell. It's not that we're, you know, the gates of hell are trying to get into our kingdom. No, no, no. It's the other way around. We're the, we're the invading force. We're the ones going to pushing the message to the darkness outside of us, looking for those hands that are grasping and reaching out for hope and for life. And so we're the ones going to the gates of hell and shaking them to release the captives, to release the prisoners who, who, are, who are in the darkness, who are spiritually dead. We're the ones who are the invading force. And those gates break open for us, and people are set free to have spiritual life. That's what we're doing here. And in the ages to come, in the ages to come, God so wants to lavish you and me with the riches of his grace. And so we're going to see that in verse 7. So in the ages to come, he, God, might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. And so you notice before when it talked about mercy, it talked about the riches of his mercy. But now when it's talking about grace, it goes, it goes beyond that. It's, it's the exceeding riches of his grace. That exceeding word was not with the mercy, but it is with the grace. For by, for, and so that's just how much God wants to, to, to lavish his love and his gift of grace and salvation to us. Then verse 8, for by grace you are saved. What does that mean anyway? You're saved. Like Jesus saves. And so I've, heard, I've seen that as a bumper sticker. And then I've seen other bumper stickers that says, saves from what? Right? So he saves from, from sin now, here, and today. He saves us from the power and the practice of sin. And then later he'll save us from the wrath of God, which is the penalty for sin. He saves us from the power and practice of sin now so we can be saved from the penalty of sin later, right, at the, at the end, of, at end of this age. All by God's grace. And you didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. Nobody could earn it. And we couldn't make this happen because we were dead in sin, right? We had no part of it except to be a spiritual corpse there on the side of the road in a ditch, you know, in, in the dung of this world. But God looked and saw us and had mercy on us, abundant mercy, and gave us new life by his grace, not by works, but it's completely a gift of God. Not saved by works, but saved for works, for good works, and that's the purpose part. And so 
So this passage is about, and you, in times past, dead in trespasses and sins, walked according to the, to the, you know, the course of this world, did anything you wanted to do, and because of that you were a child of wrath, but God. Now, he loved us, he made us alive, he saved us, raised us up together with Christ, and to sit together with Christ, power and position, um, and to show the exceeding riches of his kindness towards us in the age to come, and then comes purpose, for we are his workmanship. And that means masterpiece. So God's a master craftsman. When he makes something, it's not a piece of junk. <laughs> when, I try, when I try making something like out of Legos, it ends up being a piece of junk. But God doesn't make pieces of junk, and you are not a piece of junk. You are crafted by master craftsmen, the master craftsman of all. You are his workmanship, and he doesn't mess up. For we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained, prepared, that we should walk in them. So you are not a piece of junk. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God's ordained that you should do. Right? They're, they're given for you to do. You hardly have to work, work at it because God will be doing the work through you, but you do need to walk at it. Right? You need to be walking to do those works, and that's the purpose, those good works. So he gives us power. He gives us position. <clears throat> he gives us purpose. And... Um, I wanted to mention something else too. In verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Sometimes people can like zoom in on the might there and say, ha, see, that's an out. God might not do it. Well, no, no. That word right there is in the subjunctive, which is an assertion of something that hasn't happened yet. The only reason why it hasn't happened yet is because it's still in the future, but it's asserted that it will happen that's why it's in the subjunctive you know mood so in this it's in the subjunctive that god might show the he will show the exceeding riches of his grace to you if you're in christ jesus he will there's no might about it he will it just it hasn't happened yet but it's going to happen so you are his workmanship and you are not a piece of junk you were created in christ jesus to do good works there's so many things in this world that need fixing so many hearts that need mending, so many people that need to hear the truth, so many lives that need joy and light, and you're God's change agent. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, and then he sent you and me. And so if you want, and that's what we're here to do, that's what Arise Church is here to do, and so if you don't have this new life that I've been talking about, this new life in, in Christ, it, then I hope that you would want to be a part of the kingdom of God. If you don't, if you've heard all this and you're like, you know what, that's okay. You know, I'll have my cake and eat it too. I'll just do whatever I want here. If you don't, well, hey, I'll tell you what. Live it up, man. I'm telling you. Live it up because this is as good as it's ever going to get for you. The pinnacle of your, if you don't want this new life in Christ, then the pinnacle of your existence on this earth is today. It will never get any better for you today than today. So live it up. You may as well get all you can because today is your best day ever. Things are never going to get any better for you. But if you're a Christian, then this is the worst that you're ever going to see things. 
the worst, this is the worst of, that your existence will ever be because it's only going to go up. Everything that happens is going to happen with the purpose. God's going to make all things work together for your good. And then when you pass on into eternity, that's when he's going to show you the exceeding riches of his grace forever. And so if you don't want new life in Christ, then I, no, 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 no reason to beat around the bush. Live it up as big as you can because it's never going to get any better for you than today. As bad as today is, this is the pinnacle of your existence. But if you're a Christian, this is the worst it'll ever get. So if you want this new life in Christ, then just come to Jesus. It's not come to me. I can't do anything for you. We preach Jesus and him crucified. We don't preach ourselves. So the offer is on the table. And this, and this offer is like the slap chop where you send your money and then two weeks later the thing shows up. You know, you've got to wait two weeks for shipping and handling. No, this is an instantaneous transaction. Your sin and guilt is traded for forgiveness and mercy and joy just that fast in an instant. There is no waiting. In fact, if this message has been working on your heart, then you already have the first installment, which is God's gift of faith to believe. If you follow up with this offer, I'll tell you, you're going to feel different. You're going to go home feeling like a brand spanking new person (laughs) within just a nanosecond of placing your faith in Christ Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and pray. And and if there's anybody that wants to pray this prayer with me, then feel free to, just in your heart. Heavenly Father, after listening to the course of this world and the wrong things people chase after and live for, I recognize that I'm one of those people. I feel spiritually dead. I don't feel a, a, a connection with you, and I feel like you're always mad at me. And I know there's things I've done wrong, but I'm sorry, and I ask that you'd forgive me. I ask that this abundant mercy that this scripture talks about, that you would just apply that to me. I ask that you'd give me new life, and that you'd give me this power, this position, and this purpose that Dan talked about. I ask that you would just give those things to me. I can't earn them. They're too big. They're more than I deserve. But I'm asking that you do it because you're merciful. And I ask that you do it because you gave your son Jesus to take my sins. So please forgive me. And if you prayed that, then you're going to feel different because God's working something new in your heart and your life. And he's giving you new life right now. And so, Heavenly Father, we just come to you. We ask that you would help us to walk in the power that you give. To not be intimidated by the world around us that's trying to get all of us to go with the flow Help us to walk in the power that you give, in the newness of life, to rise above all those things and to follow the one true Lord and not the God of this world. Help us to exercise that power. Help us to know our position in Christ, that we are citizens of heaven and we are no longer subject to this system. 
to the cosmos. And Heavenly Father, help us to walk in our purpose. In the here and now, you would help us to do the good works, that you would work through us to do those good works. And then you, that you'll reward us for later anyway. Help us to know the power that you've given. Help us to know the position that you've placed us in. Help us to walk in the purpose that you've given in the here and now as, as we wait for the ages to come when you're going to show the exceeding riches of your grace upon us forever and ever. Make this church to be a strong church, a powerful testimony, a bright and shining light to this area, to the culture around us and society, to the people who see the signs, to those that feel lost and hurting. Help us to push the message out into the darkness. Help us to be the invading force that doesn't give up, but that persists until we take the whole beachhead until we take ground from the kingdom of heaven, or from the kingdom of Satan, I mean, for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God, and see you, Lord Jesus, rule and reign in people's hearts and lives here. We praise you, we exalt you, we thank you for this day. Help us through this week. Bless each one who's here. Open your word to each one of us more and more. Help us to see and hear and know your truth and to walk with you. Bless each one who's away. Bring them back safely. And give us great success this summer in reaching um, families and kids um, in this area. And we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.